Hello everyone and welcome to episode 84 of the History Hotline. My name is Deanna Lynn Cook and as always I'll be your host today. Today's episode is all about the Commonwealth and we'll be thinking about what is going to happen to the Commonwealth moving forwards. Now as some of you will be aware this summer the Commonwealth Games were in Birmingham um, and around that time a lot of people were asking me what is the Commonwealth? Like, what is actually the point of it? What does it do? Um, you know, who's in it? What's it all about? Why is it only certain countries from certain regions of the world? Um, and then following the death of the Queen um, as the leader and head of the Commonwealth, you know, questions kind of came into play again about what will happen now um, as it passes over to um, King Charles III. Now, the Commonwealth is it's an interesting thing, I find, because what it is on paper, I think, is different to what it is in reality. Um, and when you have an event like the Commonwealth Games, where all these nations come together in the sporting arenas, um, it really does showcase, I think, the differences in regards to what it says it is on paper. But obviously, there's a history to it as well. So we're going to be thinking about that today. Um, We're going to think about what it is actually on paper and what it it stands for, the history of it, um, and what it will look like moving forwards when so many nations um, are kind of in a place of trying to remove the British monarch as their head of state. Some have successfully done so, thinking um, mostly about the Caribbean at this point. But when we think about the legacy of colonialism um, and the British Empire, you know, there's obviously other regions of the world and other nations that come into play. Now, according to the Commonwealth Countries website, the Commonwealth is a voluntary association of 56 independent and equal countries in Africa, Asia, the Americas, Europe and the Pacific. The Commonwealth is home to one third of the world's population and includes both advanced economies and developing countries. Um, Which I find quite interesting, the use of the term advanced economies and developing countries. Um, It goes on um, to talk about some of the the member states, majority of them being formerly colonised countries under the British Empire. Fifteen of the member states have the British monarch as their head of state um, and they are known as Commonwealth realms. Thirty-six members are republics and five others have different monarchs um, outside of the British monarch. All member states are connected through their use of English, the English language, Um, and other historical ties. However, there are countries that have recently been added that don't have English as their first language, but obviously do speak English, um, you know, as one of their national languages. Um, It dates all the way back to the Balfour Declaration in 1926 at the Imperial Conference. During this time, the decolonisation of the British Empire was occurring um, and increased self-governance of a lot of the colonies was occurring. Um, This Imperial Conference was attended by leaders of Australia, Canada, India, the Irish Free State, Newfoundland, New Zealand and South Africa. Um, And as you can imagine, just from that list of countries, it was intended to be a union of majority white settler colonial populations of English speaking countries as a way to retain a connection to Britain um, and to the monarch whilst also having some autonomy, you know, over the way that their own countries were run, as they were not colonised anymore by Britain. The monarch was the link. At the start of the Commonwealth, it was um, the king, King Henry VI, the Queen's father, um, and 
they were head of the union and that link between monarch and colonised, formerly colonised country was there. Um, It was only a few years, really, that King Henry um, was leader of the Commonwealth as he passed away um, and the Queen took over. Um, And so for the majority of the existence of the Commonwealth, um, the modern Commonwealth as we know it today, not what was started in 1926, Queen Elizabeth II um, was, you know, its leader for the vast majority of its existence. Anyway, back to 1926. Um, So at that conference, Britain and the Dominions, as they were called, agreed that they were all to be equal members of a community within the British Empire. They all owed allegiance to the monarch, um, but the United Kingdom did not rule over them. This community was called the British Commonwealth of Nations, um, which is often shortened to just the Commonwealth. At this point, many nations uh, were ruled by Britain, um, but as they gained and fought for their independence, the modern Commonwealth, which we recognise today, was born. So in 1931, Australia, Canada, New Zealand and South Africa were the first countries to join Britain in the Commonwealth nations. 1947 saw India gain independence and they joined. Um, And this is kind of where what we know as the modern Commonwealth was born around this time, about 1949 being the official date. Um, There was a meeting, a Commonwealth Prime Minister's meeting in London in 1949, um, and the London Declaration said that republics and other countries could be part of the Commonwealth, joining the countries already united under the British monarch, the modern Commonwealth of Nations, was born. As I mentioned, King George VI was the first head of the Commonwealth. However, he died in 1952, so he was head of the Commonwealth for less than three years. Queen Elizabeth II became head when he died and was monarch for nearly 71 years, as we know, um, and so head of the Commonwealth for you know her entire um, time as monarch. Um, so it's very easy for us to link the Commonwealth directly to her, and not just the kind of monarchy in general, but literally to Queen Elizabeth II, because for its vast majority, I mean, there's only three years, you know, bar the time from her passing in September to now, where she hasn't ruled the Commonwealth and been head of it. It's something that was very much in her era when she was um, alive um, and Queen of England. So it's kind of something that we would probably argue is quite fundamental to her reign. And I think it's one of the reasons there are there is such a kind of strong connection between her and some of the Commonwealth countries that put out really big statements of mourning um, and had extended periods of mourning, um, even though, you know, that wasn't necessarily the Queen of their country. It was still the Queen of England and as members of the Commonwealth um, and having been members of the Commonwealth for so long and the Queen being leader of the Commonwealth for so long it kind of I think highlights the connection some countries had whilst um, the relationship with Britain um, as a former empire and some of the countries that it colonised is extremely difficult, fraught and just you know something really hard to navigate and interrogate and potentially pin down to to every person in one particular place or country to having certain feelings about um, Britain, Empire and the monarchy. Um, In some countries, there is still a really strong affiliation and connection to the Queen. Um, 
now as the queen has passed away um the reins are passed over to charles um king charles iii um and this is where some countries might actually end their relationship with the commonwealth um or become a republic symbolically removing him as head of state um and some would argue that that is personal um they don't maybe like some of the things that Charles has done or maybe they feel like as times move on the monarchy is outdated um, and having the British monarch as the head of their country is wrong um, and they don't feel like it's appropriate anymore um, as we kind of you know move into a different era of time and we really um, interrogate our relationship with Britain and colonisation. However you know, it's also in some cases not personal and it's a step that some countries have always wanted to take and will do despite, you know, whoever is at the top um, in terms of the monarchy in Britain. Um, but it is interesting, I think, that the Queen was the head of it for so long. Now, speaking in 1953, um, so this is where she would have just had her coronation and been, you know, the new Queen of England. She said, and I quote, Thus formed, the Commonwealth bears no resemblance to the empires of the past. It is an entirely new conception, built on the highest qualities of the spirit of man. Friendship, loyalty and the desire for freedom and peace. To that new conception of an equal partnership of nations and races, I shall give myself, heart and soul, every day of my life. So for many people in Commonwealth nations, the Queen played a role having very soft power over some nations. Her visits to member states were all very pronounced and highly orchestrated and staged. Um, but the Queen would probably see her role as one to strengthen ties between nations, as she said. Her role was in part trying to smooth over the very bloody legacy of empire, in my opinion. Um, and in many places, and for many people, she did do that. Um, however, for others, she most definitely did not. Um, and when we think about different groups of people who really, I think, suffered in the most violent ways at the hands of empire, um, this idea of the queen being able to smooth over that legacy or turn a new leaf for this new relationship is absolutely impossible. Um, so continuing on with our timeline, we arrive at 1957, where on the official commonwealth timeline it says ghana was the first african country to join the commonwealth which is interesting because south africa already are part of the commonwealth and they are an african country i believe but i don't know if he's actually referring to um ghana being i don't know a country that was at that point ruled by black people maybe i i don't know or african people um very interesting there. Um, but speaking of South Africa, by 1961, they were forced to leave the Commonwealth due to their apartheid laws um, and did not rejoin until 1994, um, which I find very interesting. I really do. Um, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe we shouldn't. But when I think about the principles of which the Commonwealth were founded on, um, whilst it was equality, it was the equality of these, um, you know, colonized white settler countries some of the biggest some of the countries that have done the biggest atrocities racially based ones in terms of colonization of native people and african people through transatlantic slavery you know they're the big hitters they started this 
And here we are, um, them kicking South Africa out because of apartheid, which, you know, is absolutely correct, but, you know, you got to look at yourself first. Anyway, 1990, Namibia joined, and they became the first country that was actually never colonised by the British to join. Cameroon and Mozambique followed shortly after, um, and interesting there, so we've got countries joining by the 90s that have no affiliation um, per se with, with empire, with the British Empire. They were colonised by other places. Um, in 2009, they celebrated 60 years of the Commonwealth since that London Declaration was signed in 49 and Rwanda joined. In 2020, the Maldives rejoined after quitting in 2016 when faced with suspension due to their human rights record. And in 2022, which has kind of been the latest update on the timeline of the Commonwealth, um, the latest members, Gabon and Togo, joined the Commonwealth. Um, And obviously also in 2022, the Commonwealth Games were in Birmingham and you kind of see all these relationships playing out on a global stage. Now, I wanted to talk about the opening ceremony um, and... This is where I regretted the fact that I was on a really long break from this podcast because I really wanted to talk about this as I watched it um, in July. It was the end of July. Um, and it was just interesting because the opening ceremony, everybody was walking around Alexander Stadium, all the teams, um, and they did it by, like, kind of geographical regions. So they had the Americas, they had Africa, they had Europe, and they'd all come in, and then the commentators were, like, giving facts about each country, and all the facts <laughs> were just in relation so colonisation and empire, every single fact was, it just kind of upheld this idea that, oh, some of these nations are developed and some of them most definitely are not. Um, and all the facts were very, I don't know, they were kind of coming from the perspective of this, you know, British commentator, British journalist. And I really wish I had like noted some of these down. So I am definitely grabbing from memory what I think they said so I'm sorry if this is wrong but it was to the tune of things like um you know this country only has like I don't know like two hospitals because the population's so small or this country's runway so short it looks like the plane's crashing into the houses like it was I don't know maybe I read into it too much but the people I was watching it with um also were kind of taken aback a little bit um it was kind of highlighting as opposed to the positives of each country um, and the things that they're, like, known for and and good for. It was, like, highlighting what they didn't have or what they lacked or the fact that they were kind of in their infancy in certain things. Um, It was very interesting, but that's the way I felt about the whole games. It was very much like... (laughs) And I know, like, you know, it's happening in Britain and for British athletes it was really important to win on home soil and xyz but it was very much you know there's a lot of countries in there that economically gdp wise do not have the wealth that britain has being what the fifth slash sixth biggest economy in the world um and that's similar for those countries that started this so we think about australia we think about new zealand we think about um south africa to an extent um and canada And the wealth that they have and the wealth that they have amassed by exploiting um, so many different countries and colonising, and I mean Britain colonising, and then, you know, the wealth ending up in all these countries um, that ended up with quite big white populations um, because they had absolutely wiped out the native populations. 
Um, they have so much wealth and so much opportunity. And us as people, I mean, I live in the UK um, and most of the people listening will too. Um, there's so much wealth here and it was just a case of like, Britain are going to come to these Commonwealth Games and dominate um, and it's going to be amazing and it's going to be great and oh we'll see what all these other little countries can do um, and that's the vibe I get from the Commonwealth Games um, it's I like them because I'm a netball fan we don't get to see netball on an international stage outside of the netball world cup because it's not an Olympic sport so for me you know that's what I take from the games but it was very interesting I think the way um that the Commonwealth Games run um, and the way certain countries are spoken about. Anyway, back to the history. Now, during the Commonwealth's run, many countries have left and rejoined, been suspended and rejoined, or never been a part of the Commonwealth and joined as late as this year in the case of Gabon and Togo. Um, The Commonwealth, as we know it today, stems from that London Declaration passed in 1949, which is where the member states are described as, and I quote, free and equal, as opposed to still under the watchful eye of their colonial master, Britain. Um, Now, the Commonwealth Charter is a document of the values and aspirations which unite the Commonwealth. It expresses a commitment of the member states to the development of free and democratic societies and the promotion of peace and prosperity to improve the lives of all people in the Commonwealth, which is why you see countries leaving or being forced to leave or being suspended, because if they do not uphold um, democracy, true democracy, uh, freedom, you know, they don't follow human rights laws and have, you know, clear and repeat cases of violations um, and, you know, they don't uphold peace then, you know, they face being suspended um, or they just leave of their own accord because, you know, if they aren't really trying to uphold people's human rights, they probably don't care too much about being in the Commonwealth. Um, On the Commonwealth website, interestingly enough, there's resources for children, Commonwealth resources for children. And I'm always very interested in how the children are being taught. Um, And it's presented to me anyway as this big happy family of loads of people from all over the world, part of this great thing. Um, And I quote, they use the terms diversity, equality and friendship. Um, And this big focus is on equality and the equality of, even though you're all from different parts of the world um, and you all might look different and you all might, you know, yeah, inhabit different areas and, and be interested in different things, there is this big family that you're part of as part of the Commonwealth. And I don't really think that we think about the Commonwealth in this country. Um, I think it's thought of more in other countries and the resources for children did seem like targeted at other countries. And I don't know if it's part of the kind of indoctrination from a young age. (laughs) That might be too much. But this kind of indoctrination of being part of this global family that's going to care for you um, and look after you and protect you, when in actuality, um, it's just a continuation of the exploitation. But, question is now, can the Commonwealth survive the death of Queen Elizabeth II? Because the sentiment in former British colonies is so complex. Um, You know, what did her position symbolise? Who does the wealth brought in by the Commonwealth and the Empire? Because they are so closely linked, you can't really take them apart. You know, who does that wealth belong to? What does the Queen's legacy mean for the countries left in poverty? 
when the monarchy hoards so much wealth. Countries are now reckoning again with the violence of colonisation and the the Commonwealth, sorry. Being a subsequent force of this, they now have to reckon with the Commonwealth. The period um, of decolonisation, most notably after the Second World War, um, but earlier for some countries and much later for others, um, that period, I'd say, in British history and in British public history, um, is that people were granted independence amicably, amicably. The Queen, being this unifying figure, allowed for countries to gain their freedom. The conversation doesn't really go to the fight, the violence, the oppression um, and the suppression that existed um, in so many countries' fight for freedom. It was not a reality around the world. Um, Many countries did just gain independence. Um, You know, it was a long, probably decade-long process, um, but they got freedom relatively, should we say, painlessly and bloodlessly because in some countries the case was so so different um, and the bloodshed was so significant there is no way to think about those countries um, in an amicable way. In India for example movements for independence dated back to 1857 and they only became independent in 1947. That's 90 years of a variety of conflicts and battles and protests and bloodshed and violence. It also saw partition of the region that led to India and Pakistan being separate countries. And that's the story of one country. And yes, this is prior to the Queen being on the throne. Um, But then you do have countries like Kenya, where independence came in 1963, but after violent opposition to movements for independence. The Mau Mau uprising in 1952 led to the British massacring tens of thousands of civilians. Millions were forced into concentration camps. This is not just, oh, a few people or martyrs to the cause. Millions of people's lives were changed for the worst, not only in the whole process of empire, of colonisation, of slavery, but then following the point, you know, in time where they they decide they want to be free, they would like to remove Britain um, and are having conversations and movements towards that and protesting. And it leads to millions being in concentration camps, tens of thousands of people losing their lives. When that war ended, um, the people that had fought against British um, forces were imprisoned and executed. So there was the ones that died in battle and then the ones that died after. And the impact the bloodshed had on that nation will never be forgotten. And um, I believe there are some people in Kenya that took a case um, against Britain um in the in around 2013 i believe um and you know that's the only reason we really know so much about it as we do today um because it was something that's kind of pushed under the carpet hush hush um interestingly enough the queen was touring around kenya when she was actually told her father passed away and that she was now queen so she arrived in kenya a princess left a monarch um but there's this history this violent history that Kenya have to reckon with. Um, The Mau Mau uprising actually expedited the road to independence in Kenya, Um, but it can't be portrayed as a peaceful transition um, when the British have so much blood on their hands. Moving over to the Caribbean, 
Movements for independence were oftentimes a little bit less violent in comparison, but followed hundreds of years, as you said, of kidnapping, enslavement, forced labour. So the legacy there is still filled with pain and a lot of bloodshed. Um, Right now, in the Caribbean especially, um, there are a lot of countries thinking about becoming a republic. Um, And these conversations were happening long before the Queen passed away. St Kitts and Nevis, I think, most recently have announced its pledge to potentially become a republic or to put in the work to see if that's a possibility. Antigua and Barbuda have said they'll hold a referendum about if they will have King Charles III as head of state. Jamaica's sentiment was that they were not too keen on having Charles as their head of state. Um, so it may move quicker now that the Queen has passed away to become a republic, but I believe those steps are still in motion. There was an episode on that ages ago. I thought I'd have an update for you by now, but... Jamaica are moving um, quite slowly. Um, And then there's the question of, well, is this all just symbolic anyway? Um, What's the purpose of them becoming republics, removing the monarch as a head of state? Does that actually do anything for the people on the ground? Does that do anything for the average um, Catitian or Jamaican or Antiguan? Um, What will that change in those countries? So when we think about what's next for the Commonwealth and the Crown... Um, the head of the Commonwealth isn't a like hereditary position. So whilst it has been passed down from father to daughter to son, um, it is actually something that would, was voted on in 2018. There haven't been many transitions um, because obviously, as we know, Henry VI um, was monarch for about three years as head of the Commonwealth and then um, Queen Elizabeth II took over when he passed away automatically. 2018, there was a vote um, and the Queen had said um, it was her wish, shall we say, that um, Charles would carry on this um, this role. Um, however, you know, I think it will be very interesting moving forwards to see the relationship that occurs between the monarch, um, the Commonwealth and the countries that call themselves members of it. Um, and, you know, a lot of the time, we think about um, the role of the monarch, especially in this country, because they are the monarch of this country. Um, but, you know, what is that going to look like in the future, um, in the case of Charles as well, as he kind of calls out, I don't know, what it's what it's like going to be like for him to be king. Um, I think this kind of moment in time will be where a lot of people continue to interrogate the relationship um, with Britain and the Empire and the Commonwealth as a result. Um, And whilst we speak about people removing um, the monarch as a head of state, they often will still remain members of the Commonwealth. They are two separate things um, because Commonwealth members, as we mentioned, don't have to have the British monarch as their head of state. So, you know, all around the world, people reacted differently to the death of Queen Elizabeth II, um, especially in the Commonwealth countries. And it will be interesting to see, um, you know, if her passing changes anything um, in regards to the Commonwealth and in regards to countries um, keeping a British monarch as their head of state moving forwards. 
Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the History Hotline. If you've enjoyed this episode and episodes of the past, please do tell a friend to tell a friend and support us on social media by liking, commenting, sharing um, and following us on our various platforms at the History Hotline on Instagram, at the History HL on Twitter. Um, And we are also on LinkedIn um, and on TikTok and on YouTube. So thank you again for your support and for tuning in. And I hope you have a wonderful week. Goodbye.